Hi, I'm Linda. And I'm Craig. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. It's episode 220, and today we're talking about the Camino de Santiago. Yeah, we're going to talk about preparing to walk the Camino de Santiago, which is what we're going to do next March and April, and basically our preparation for that, or yeah. preparation for any long walk. Yeah, yeah, as well as hear from Passports with Purpose co-founder Beth Whitman. So over the last few weeks, we have been pretty busy. I mean, last Tuesday, we arrived back in the country. And since then, we've been doing all sorts of errands, catching up with friends, catching up with our family, having family dinners, you know, getting everything sorted. And I've started working again as a teacher, which has been fun. It's been quite good. I I like teaching. Unfortunately, the morning class isn't very motivated, so that makes it a little bit more difficult. But my afternoon class is awesome. So it's nice. Yeah, well, remember that you can help the Indie Travel Podcast stay traveling by booking through us. So visit IndieTravelPodcast.com slash flight slash hostels and slash insurance when you're booking your travel online. We've also got a growing list of day tours at IndieTravelPodcast.com slash tours and deals updating daily at slash deals. And don't forget, if you're shopping online, visit IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Amazon first, and then you can click a link which will take you through to Amazon. And if you buy something, we get a small commission, and we really appreciate it when you do that. Or you can get a free audiobook with a two-week trial of Audible through IndieTravelPodcast.com slash audiobook. Or buy some of our own books at IndieTravelPodcast.com slash books. Yeah, it'll be great for any uh, new fun gadgets and devices you get for Christmas this year. Exactly. It's all good. Well, today we're talking about the Camino de Santiago, a long walk through Spain. But first, here's a little rundown on Passports with Purpose this year with uh, me and Beth Whitman. Beth, welcome on to the Indie Travel Podcast once again. Yeah, thanks for having me, Craig. It's been a while. I remember um, over a year ago now we spoke about India and Bhutan and the uh, the tours you're doing there. Yeah. It's madness. Well, we're talking about a completely different uh, part of the world today and a completely different thing altogether. Can you give us a bit of a rundown on Passports with Purpose? Absolutely. So Passports with Purpose is the travel bloggers fundraiser. And um, what we've done, the founders are from the Seattle area. And what we've done is um, we've created a way for folks to donate in very small increments, just $10 at a time. And they have the opportunity to win um, some pretty incredible prizes. And all the money this year is going to Room to Read. And um, what they're going to do is actually build a couple of libraries for us in Zambia. Um, there's more details there. If you want me to go into the details about how the whole thing works, I'm happy to do that. But that's kind of the gist of, of it. That's pretty cool. And it's something that's been running for a few years. Eh? Have you been involved from the beginning? Absolutely. There's um, four of us founders who started it. Um, Michelle Duffy from Wander Mom, Debbie Dubrow from Delicious Baby, and Pam Mandel from Nerd's Eye View. And then um, Meg Painter, who's a fantastic PR person, joined us recently, too. And uh, she does the PR for us. So there's five of us. We started it, um, well, we're in our fourth year. And uh, we basically started it um, just over coffee and and uh, coffee cake, just kind of chatting about how we might be able to bring the travel blogging community together to do some good. You know, we travel around the world and um, we see how a lot of people live and we thought, you know, how can we give back but still bring the travel blogging community together? So it this idea kind of developed really quickly and um, in our first year we raised 
$7,500. We put the fundraiser together in about three weeks, and we raised $7,500 for Heifer International. The next year, we raised $35,000, and we built a uh, school in rural Cambodia. Last year, this just keeps getting bigger. We're so excited. Last year, we raised $65,000, and um, we're in the process of building a village of 25 homes in South India. And then this year, our big goal is $80,000 for two libraries in Zambia. Wow, that's very cool. And tell us, how can people um, help out? Well, they can go to passportswithpurpose.org. And there's a big old donate button on there. And what they do is they go to that donate page and they choose what prizes they would like to win. And gosh, it is everything from hotel stays around the world, um, five days in uh, on the big island of Hawaii, um, overnights in Kauai at the Grand Hyatt, electronics, Xboxes travel gear, <laughs> you name it. There's actually, there's, um, there's over 90 prizes that are listed on there. And so what someone does is go there, they uh, choose the number of times they would like to bid on one of those items, and then it just goes up in $10 increments. And uh, so for every $10, they get um, one shot at winning a prize or, or one or more prizes. And, uh, and that's it. They just check out through PayPal. The money goes to Room to Read. And um, we're that much closer to making our goal. That's very cool. And all of those prizes, just to clarify, have been donated by travel bloggers or travel companies. Uh, so none of the money that's being donated is going into uh, to funding those prizes. Oh, that's that's a great point. That's absolutely true. So in many cases, um, companies have just come out and said, this is a great cause. We want to support you folks. They've been with us you know, year after year in some cases, and they provide the items. And then uh, if a travel blogger maybe doesn't quite have um, connections with um, with folks who can donate the prizes, they'll just go out and buy it themselves. And they might buy um, camera gear or gift certificates like to Amazon or, you know, some other sort of uh, gift certificate prize or, or, or electronics. And they, and they just donate it themselves, which is just amazing. That's cool. Beth, good luck for, uh, for this year's Passports with Purpose. And uh, we look forward to hearing that you've hit, uh, hit 80K in a couple of weeks when it all wraps up. Yeah, we actually wrap up on the 16th of December. So we're on a big push in the next week to, to do that. Oh, well, hopefully uh, the Indie Travel Podcast audience will, will get behind it. I'm sure they will. Thanks, Craig. Thanks heaps, Beth, for talking to us about Passports with Purpose. It's definitely a good thing to do. So everyone should definitely contribute. Yeah, and get in quick because it's wrapping up at the end of this week. So make sure you get over there, donate, and uh, hopefully you'll pick up a prize. That would be really good. So today we thought we'd talk to you about the Camino de Santiago, which is, I suppose it's something that's really close to our hearts because we really, really, really like the Camino de Santiago. It's a pilgrimage path across Spain, really. In the Middle Ages, people would walk out of their houses and walk to various destinations. There was Rome, Jerusalem, and Santiago de Compostela was another one. You could travel by horse or by donkey, or you could just walk. And uh, it was a way of lessening your time in purgatory, I think, or cutting out purgatory altogether if you did this long walk. Uh, we are not doing it for that reason, mostly because we don't believe in purgatory. But it's, an, I mean, it's an excellent thing to do for spiritual reasons or non-spiritual reasons. It doesn't matter. It's a great, great thing to do. Now, there's lots of different walks. The most popular one is the Camino Francaise, which is from the Pyrenees in, in France. 
and it runs parallel to the, the coast, but about 100 kilometers inland across northern Spain. And we did that one in 2008. But there are heaps and heaps of other walks that you can do. For example, there's one that comes up through Portugal, there's one that goes from Madrid, one from Barcelona, and they all end up in Santiago de Compostela. In March and April of next year, we're planning on doing the Via de la Plata, which starts in Seville in southern Spain and goes pretty much straight north to get to Santiago de Compostela. Yeah, so everyone's going, gosh, it's going to be so hot, but our plan is we'll start in the warm weather in the south, and then as it gradually gets warmer further and further north, we'll be walking towards that. That's, 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 that's our great hope, but with world weather patterns, what they are at the moment, we've really got no idea what's going to be happening. Yeah, when we walked three years ago in 2008, we started in early March, and it was it was really cold. <laughs> it was really, really cold. In yeah. fact, we were walking through snow at one point. We got hailed on five times. Hail. And when you're walking in the middle of nowhere, and there's nowhere to take shelter, and there's no houses because you're 10 kilometers from anything, then you just you just get hailed on. You kind of just <laughs> yeah. crouch down and put your bag over your head. <laughs> yeah, you really realize how sore hail is when you're stuck in the middle of a field. Hail is sore. Luckily, it wasn't golf ball size. It was just little little pellets, but oh my goodness. It was not very much painful fun. enough. So yeah, so we're going to be walking basically a thousand kilometers uh, next March and April, and that's kind of crazy. So we thought we'd talk a little bit about how we're planning for that, and uh, and how you can plan for that too. I mean, the kind of stuff we talk about today, you could apply to any long walk, like if you're looking at doing the Appalachian Trail or the the PCT, the Pacific Crest Trail in the States, or um, you know, doing what Gold is doing at the moment. And, uh, well, he hasn't started yet, but he's going to be walking from the very southernmost point of the South Island up to the very top of the North Island of New Zealand. And uh, he's doing that for charity. So you can find out more about that on the Indie Travel Podcast community and uh, find out how you can donate and sponsor him on this walk. You should definitely do that. I mean, I... I want to sp- to support him, but I also want to do it. I want to do that walk because <laughs> New Zealand is such an amazing country. It'll he'll just have the most spectacular views all the way along. Yeah, I think our walking is going to be easier than his. But uh, should we get into some of these tips? Yeah, for sure. So first of all, you need to plan. Planning is quite important. Uh, first of all, you need to choose your route. If you're doing the Camino de Santiago, well, the Camino de Santiago doesn't actually give you enough information. You need to choose which Camino de Santiago. Camino de Santiago means the way of St. James. You need to decide which way you're going to take. Uh, so we've decided to do, as we said, the Via de la Plata. And um, from there, we need to look at the route and think about where are we going to stay each night? Yeah, because I mean, I guess an important thing to realize is that this walk, the Camino, isn't actually one cohesive walk. Even though we've chosen to do the Via de la Plata, there's dozens of interwoven routes that we mm. could possibly take. There's times we can take a long way round or a shortcut, uh, times we can veer to one city or another city. Yeah. And um, it's the same with, uh, well, with any urban walking, I guess. We're not out in the middle of the forest following trails that are cut into it. We're walking from town to town. That's right. Yeah, when we walked in 2008, quite often we get to a crossroads and we had to choose the the short route or the long route and usually the short route was the official Camino and the long route was um, a detour which took you somewhere interesting and it was almost always several extra kilometers and we almost always chose the longer way because we were walking it for interest we wanted to see what we could see and uh, a couple of kilometers added on to an already quite long day didn't seem like that much more 
Um, so we would quite often make those decisions on the day because it didn't affect where we were going to stay that night. But planning your legs is quite an important thing to do, especially with the less common, uh, the less popular Caminos. The Camino Frances has lots and lots of places to stay along it, but the less popular Caminos don't have as many pilgrim hostels. Uh, so you need to plan quite well in order to make sure that you're staying where you want to stay. Uh, the Vida de la Plata has more and more hostels being built up, but some of them aren't exactly pilgrim hostels. They're just regular hostels. And so instead of paying five or seven euros per night, you're paying kind of 15 or 20 euros per night for the uh, honor of staying in these in these hostels. And I don't know, I just don't think we can we can afford to pay proper hostel prices. Yeah, or not over a month and walking a thousand kilometers. Right. I, mean, I can't imagine we're going to get much work done that month. No, that's right. <laughs> So, yeah, um, and how do you plan these legs? For the Camino, there's an organization called the Confraternity of St. James, and they are committed to putting together English language resources for people that are looking to walk the Camino. So um, they have maps and books and all that kind of stuff, um, all run off the back of someone's uh, home printer by the looks of it, (laughs) or a photocopier, and then stapled together and um, handed out. And these books are updated by pilgrim as they, pilgrims as they pass through each year. So often you get the book and then you get an addendum of up-to-date notes of from people's emails and phone calls into the organization. Yeah, there are more professionally printed books, but we really like the Confraternity of St. James. They're the ones we used last time and they, they didn't do us wrong, so that was good. No, because they're so up-to-date, they're not, they haven't committed to a big print run of like 10,000 books. Mm-hmm. And then have to sell them before they put out the next edition. That's right. Uh, with maps, you can get a really good map of most of the routes that have kilometers marked, I think, in red dots and miles marked in blue dots. So it shows you how far you've gone. We chose not to get one for the um, the first walk we did. I think it was because it was just so expensive. It was about 20 euros. But uh, a good map is definitely a good investment for the less popular routes because it won't be as well marked. The good thing about the Camino is the way is marked with scallop shells. And so you can just have a look around to find out where you need to go. However, yeah, as I said, the less popular the route, the fewer scallop shells you're going to see. Yeah, definitely. I remember when we walked the Camino Frances, there was often um, just like hand-painted on the side of the road, arrows and signs saying PA, (laughs) which was the, the, the foot, you know, by foot. Um, but in English, it looks like pie. Pie! So I was always very excited by that. So we keep following the arrows, but we never found any pie. I know. Very disappointing. Tragic. Tragic. The other thing that you need when you're walking the community to Santiago is a pilgrim passport. This is basically a piece of cardboard which has a map of the uh, of all the routes on the back of it and spaces for stamps on the front. And uh, every night you get a stamp and, and the person at the hostel will sign the date. When you arrive in Santiago, you have to show your passport as proof that you've done this walk and you get a certificate. Uh, You can't stay in the pilgrim hostels unless you have the passport. So you need the passport. Yeah, Uh, That's something you need to look into before you go. People also look at uh, the the people that are manning these uh, these hostels are often volunteers who have done the Camino in past years. And they're looking for signs of authenticity rather than signs of... uh, 
people that are just looking for a cheap place to crash. Uh-huh. So if you've apparently walked through a muddy bog that day and your <laughs> shoes are nice and clean, then uh, they're looking looking spry and dapper. Yeah. Um, they might ask why you're using 1950s vocabulary, or they might ask why uh, <laughs> or how you've managed to make it through. So they are looking for, for people that are walking it, and that I think keeps it a lot safer for everyone. Yeah, I remember we were in one hostel and a guy got turned away because his shoes weren't clean and he'd just arrived at the same time as the train, you know. The train only arrived twice a day and the hostel guy was like, no, you just arrived on the train. And the uh, pilgrim said, no, no, I haven't, I haven't, I've walked. The guy goes, you've arrived three minutes after the train arrived. Your shoes are clean. Go and stay somewhere else. So, I mean, that was quite good. It meant that you didn't have just randoms showing up. Mm. Definitely. Well, how do you pack for a thousand kilometer walk? The answer is with as little as you can possibly get by on. Definitely. They recommend that you have less than 10% of your body weight on your back. So if you weigh 60 kilos, you shouldn't have more than 6 kilos. 15% is okay, so you could go up to 9 nine kilos or 10 at the absolute maximum, but you really shouldn't be getting up to that much. Yeah, I'd say... of your body weight or 10 kilos max because you're putting a lot of stress on your knees on your ankles Uh, your muscles build up really quickly but it's really the joints that get a hiding so you want to uh, be protecting those as much as you can with good footwear and also with a light pack definitely it's a good idea to get a good pack that has a good harness Um, although a day pack might even be enough for you Get one that has at least a little clip around the waist so that it doesn't move around too much. Yeah, I'd say you you definitely want to be using something with a harness that's transferring the weight down onto your hips. Mm -hmm. Um, You might think the bag's light when you pick it up in the morning, but after kilometre 20, um, you'll really be feeling it and your back could get damaged doing that day after day. Yeah, so what's going to go on the bag? Well, first of all, clothes. You need some good shoes. Depending on what kind of... How you walk, you might want hiking shoes or hiking boots. Um, I had boots, Craig had shoes, they worked well for both of us. In fact, my boots were so awesome that I got a reputation of having miraculous feet because I never needed any blister plasters. Everyone else was sitting around, you know, tending to their blisters at the end of the day, and I'm like, my feet are great! And everyone was like, shut up! (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes we were. Um, Whatever you do in terms of shoes, I would recommend dropping into a specialist shoe store, specialist Mm -hmm. outdoors or walking store. And um, of course they're going to try and sell you the most expensive things possible. But um, use their knowledge to understand what you're going to be facing. And um, custom insoles, I think, are really the way forward. I know the shoes that I've got for the walk, I'm going to be replacing the insoles and getting ones that that fit the contours of my feet and kind of work, kind of mechanically work out some of the the walking errors I make to, to make all my joints just keep moving well that's what you did last time isn't it we started the walk and you had really 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 sore feet like really bad blisters mm. and then maybe what three or four days in we went and bought you some new insoles and it changed everything yeah and i'm going to do that again um speaking with some specialists here they were saying that they, they're good for about 500 k's so i might want to take two pairs oh, and okay. swap them out halfway through that's interesting yeah the ones you had last time they had kind of silicon inserts didn't they and yeah they were really right. good and they lasted they lasted well after the camino as well mm, well Bish. I kept wearing them long after, but uh, yeah. I don't know if they would have had the same effect. 
So yeah, shoes are obviously very important and socks as well. Yeah. Um, that's something that I'm always spending too much on and something I'm always really glad I'm spending too much on. Yeah. Because the way your socks fit and support your foot does equally as much as any shoe. Definitely. We like the smart wool socks. They're a, a wool sock that kind of wick out moisture and they're specially tailored to have different types of support. So that's really good. Mm. Um, next up, well, you need clothes apart from just, you know, clothing your feet. So what we had was a pair of trousers each. I also had long johns for the cold because we were walking in March. That was really cold. And then waterproof over trousers. So that meant when I was really cold, I could wear all three layers. And if it was just a normal day, I could wear the regular trousers. My trousers also rolled up. I think you had zip-off ones. Mm. Something like that so that you can let some air in is a good idea. I had to buy mine. I looked and looked and I couldn't find anything that had zip-off that I liked. So I ended up getting these these roll-up ones. And they were quite funny because they had a, um, a weird waist with Velcro on it so that you could tighten it. But because I kept having to tighten it and tighten it, the Velcro wore off. And I had to kind of sew them up. <laughs> it was annoying. So that's the bottom. Um, and also I think I had a skirt for wearing around the hostel in the evening. Then on the top, well, girls are obviously going to need a bra. A sports bra is a good idea. Just take one and then take a, a spare bra for the for the evenings. Um, and you can just wash and wear. Wash and wear. T-shirts. I think I had two T-shirts. One long sleeve um, woolen kind of thermal layer and then a jumper. I had a fleece that had pockets and a zip um, down the middle, which was really good because it meant I could take it on and off, and a scarf, like a light scarf, which it was really funny when we walked last last time in 2008 because the sun was always on our left. Because it was winter, the sun wasn't rising directly above our heads. It was just kind of coming up and going down. And because we were walking from what west uh, from east to west, the sun was rising and setting on our left all the time. And so we ended up getting tanned just on one side of our face. Yeah, we look like, I don't know, like old Harlequin dolls. Yeah, it was like, hilarious. Left side was dark brown, right side was white. Right, so um, I had a hat, a, a brimmed hat, and I'd kind of rig up my scarf over one side so that it was protecting me against the sun. <laughs> that also looked quite attractive. No, it looked ridiculous. Um, That's something you have to be prepared for. You probably will look ridiculous some of the time. Sure, sure. Oh, and also a raincoat is really important. One thing that we found that um, really made a difference, actually, was having a specialist sports T-shirt. Linda said we had two T-shirts each. Just having a plain cotton one, they didn't wick as well. They caused a bit of chafing on the body. Um, they stuck to you uncomfortably, and they stunk. They were harder to wash, slower to dry. So um, this time I'm definitely going to be looking for specialist T-shirts on sale over the January period so I can grab a couple of them, and I'm sure I'm just going to wear them into the earth over the uh, the month that we're walking. Well, that's what but, I did. I but, had that pink one with the, mm -hmm. the mesh in the side, and that had the special wicking technology. I had the black one as well. Yeah. The pink one looked really awful with the green trousers, <laughs> but the black one looked quite attractive. And they're both pilled to death now. They've all got little bits on them, so... Yeah, it's surprising they're still holding together. Yeah. Um, toiletries, we've talked about quite a bit in the last few months. Um, obviously, take as little as possible. Um, and if you're traveling even, with someone, split it. Don't carry yeah, two of everything, whatever yeah, you do. absolutely. Um, and a good first aid kit is actually really important. Um, you could fall and like get a graze or a cut, something like that, quite far away from, from anywhere. Um, 
also if you've got kind of strain injuries that you know might be recurring like I've got a bad left knee so I'll be taking a uh, a knee compression pack with mm-hmm. me um, things like that you you really need to be able to look after yourself while balancing that against your weight weight restraints definitely um, in the first aid kit or the toiletries, however you want, make sure to take sunscreen because you're going to be outside so much. That's true. And the other big thing is blisters. Yeah. Um, it's really can be really quite difficult to get hold of depending on where you are. But if you can take a sterile needle for popping and cutting open blisters, and uh, you know, and and use that, that's really good. And and combine that with some betadine, uh, which you can use to disinfect and dry out the blisters that you've got. Um, that makes a very effective and very light blister pack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course, your regular supply of plasters. Take lots of plasters and blister plasters if you can get them mm. because they can be really useful. Definitely. Now, sleeping on the Caminos interesting because although there are these refugios, these cheap hostels for walkers, um, they normally don't come with any sleeping equipment, unlike hostels which will have sheets and duvets and things like that. Um, in this case, you're more likely just to get a mattress. And what you sleep in is, well, you have to bring that. Yeah. So uh, that means that you need to bring a sleeping bag and also a, well, we'd recommend a sleeping bag liner, like mm-hmm. a silk sleeping sheet. Yeah, because that can just add an extra couple of degrees. Don't take a pillow. Just <laughs> pack up your bag with stuff in it or, you know, use one of your T-shirts, stuff it with your other clothes and use that as a pillow. Um, and of course the density of the sleeping bag or the, the comfort rating of the sleeping bag will depend on the time of year. So the ones that we're going to be taking have a comfort rating down to about five degrees. Mm-hmm. And although we might have some cold nights, we're kind of relying on our uh, polyprop long johns to, yeah. to keep us warm through those. Many of the refugios have blankets, so you can use them to kind of supplement but i wouldn't rely on them i'd definitely take a sleeping bag yeah absolutely absolutely so in addition to that you've got uh well just the stuff you need to to live really um entertainment yeah entertainment's um, important could be a pack of cards a book yeah kindle something like that it's a good time to be journaling as well i'll definitely take a journal um and uh, a water bottle you you know we talked earlier about 10 percent of your body weight or 10 kilos as your bag weight now, this has to include your water and your food as well. Yeah. So really all of your gear needs to get down to 7 kilos, 8 kilos, because you'll want to carry... There are some stretches normally marked in the map or in the guidebook where there's no water for maybe 5 to 10 k's. And, um, you know, you'll want to drink a couple of liters of water in that time. So that's yep. 2 kg to uh, to add onto your pack. That's right. And um, thinking about food, the best way to do it is to have always have an extra meal in your bag whether that's made up of five muesli bars or or something really simple like that make sure you've got extra food because you never know when there'll be a stretch where you just can't buy anything or when the local shop is closed and whatever being the spanish countryside sundays are often a write-off um sometimes shops will be closed when you go through and you're relying on them because they're at siesta from 11 o'clock until four o'clock in this town that's right um you know you can really get get hung out to dry it was very difficult what we usually did when we walked last time was we'd um, arrive in a place in the evening and go to the supermarket and buy enough food to cook dinner for ourselves and for breakfast in the morning and for snacks for the next day then um, during the day we'd have breakfast when we got up and we'd buy lunch in a local um, restaurant or maybe just go into a little cafe and have bocadillos 
something like that. We had our snacks along the way, and then we'd repeat the process when we arrived in the next town. Yeah. And that worked quite well because it minimized how much we had to carry, although we did always have extra just in case. Mm. So I guess to sum up, um, do your planning, get your gear together, get rid of as much gear as you possibly can, and uh, then get your pilgrim passport and go walk the Camino. Yeah, definitely. Well, make sure you drop by the Indie Travel Podcast community at IndieTravelPodcast.com slash community. We've got all sorts of new things going on there in the forums and uh, post your own photos of your travels. That'll be really cool. Don't forget that you can help us stay traveling by booking through us. So visit IndieTravelPodcast.com slash flights slash hostels slash tours and slash insurance when you're booking your travel online. We've also got a library of books to share at IndieTravelPodcast.com slash books for solo travelers, couples, people going to Europe, and travel safety coming up soon. Don't forget to visit IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Amazon if you're doing any shopping and get your trial bonuses from our partners. Download a free audiobook with a two-week trial of Audible through IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Audible or slash audiobook. And for some non-monetary ways of helping us out, tell your friends about Indie Travel Podcast, invite them to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Indie Travel, or leave a five-star review for us on iTunes. That's greatly appreciated. It sure is. Well, that's us for this week. Until next week, travel well.